while your day is winding down. They're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Barrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day. From local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard. To listen. And where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Welcome to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus Farrow. So, uh, we've been bringing back the, uh, the guest co-host thing. I started last week with, um, former Bristol County Sheriff Tom Hodgson and, uh, we're joined now by Jared Val- uh, Valenzuela. Jared, how are you? Well, Marcus, happy to be back here on the South Coast, uh, and great to be back on South Coast tonight with you. Um, for people who may not know, um, who you are, just introduce yourself to the audience. Sure. Uh, current chairman of Give the... Give us uh, your bona fides. My bona fides. Uh, current Plymouth County Commissioner Chairman. Uh, I currently also serve on the National Committee of the Federation of Young Republicans, Vice Chairman of the Plymouth County Republican Club, Chairman of the Rockland Republican Town Committee, uh, many years of, of service in multiple capacities in the town of Rockland, and... Um, I currently host my own radio program outside of the broadcast range of WBSM. That's good. Uh, so uh, up in the Marshfield area. So I've uh, been doing that for about five and a half years now and um, love all things Plymouth County. So always a pleasure to talk to my friends in Rock Village and Wareham, Marion, Mattapoisett, Rochester. Did I already say Rochester? You get two ice shout out for Rochester. Tonight. Yeah. So uh, always a pleasure to be here chatting with you folks tonight. Yeah, absolutely. So um, Jared... Um there's a lot going on, but I actually, last time you were here, we talked a little bit about uh, county commissioners and what they do. And yeah. I think that's an interesting conversation, one that we should start with, because uh, it's it's sort of, um, it's almost like at this juncture, kind of a relic, right? It certainly is in Massachusetts. And it's, you know, one of the things that I've set out to do, at least in my tenure as a commissioner, and I serve with Commissioner Sandra Wright and Commissioner Greg Hanley. Um, and for fan service, for at least your Republican listeners, not that we operate super partisanly, um, but we are the only Republican majority board of commission in the whole state. So that's just Republican fan service. It doesn't really mean anything. I mean, it does in some ways. And you've asked me before, in what ways has that mattered? I think it has in terms of our budgeting, uh, in terms of the way we deliver services, doing so with very low administrative costs. But what we've been able to do as a county, we're one of only seven that are left on paper. Of course, Massachusetts still has 14 borders of counties, but there's only seven left. Plymouth, Barnstable, Dukes, Nantucket, Bristol, uh, Norfolk, and Suffolk County. But the ones that operate pretty much the same way are Barnstable, Plymouth, Norfolk, and Bristol. Uh, We manage uh, the courthouses uh, in Plymouth County. It would be Hingham, Wareham, and Brockton. We manage the Registry of Deeds buildings, Rockland, Brockton, and Plymouth. Um, we manage a whole host of other regional services, though. The Burn Grant, which is uh, for public safety uh, personnel in communities that participate. We um, we actually put together, and this is something, uh, and I should have prefaced this at the top. We like to do the unfun stuff of government, right? <laughs> like we're not we're not building schools and building parks and doing the fun stuff. We're taking care of, I think, the less um, the less entertaining, the less forward stuff. But stuff that's really important and the big albatross that's hanging over pretty much every government entity's head in Massachusetts is other post-employment benefits, employee, retiree, health care, dental. OPEB. OPEB, right. So we started several years ago the Plymouth County OPEB Trust Fund, PCOT, 
and Treasurer O'Brien, Plymouth County Treasurer O'Brien, has been managing that trust fund, uh, and it consistently outperforms other like-size um, retirement trust funds uh, with annualized gains 5%, 7%. Um, that's important. Because so many communities, on top of just faced with the overall pension liability, they're faced with that benefit liability. And as a conservative, we that uh, it's a whole other conversation about salaries and benefits, right? Bottom line for me, at least someone who has operated in the business, you made promises to people, right? They gave their lives. They gave their careers. You need to fulfill that promise. You need to pay for it. Uh, we are proud of the fact that that trust fund has been able to pay for that service and, and give communities an opportunity that have bought into it to see better returns and begin to lessen that burden that is going to start hitting a lot of our communities and government entities in Massachusetts. Um, and the other thing that we're super proud of in Plymouth County is our 4-H extension program. They do a great work going out into the classrooms. We have an entomologist named Blake who you send him a picture of a bug, he'll let you know what that bug is. So if it's a bug you don't recognize, uh, he'll let you know. But they do so much great work at our greenhouse, at the county farm, uh, ag day at the state house. Uh, they're constantly on the move, out in the classrooms, teaching and working with students for agriculture, cool. um, which is super important. And I think something that a county should do. So we we are keeping busy in Plymouth County. And, you know, as I, I like to say, Plymouth County works for you. You know, we're the best bang you're going to get for your buck. We do this all in a... 10 to $12 million budget, um, not a big budget. Yeah, it's pretty impressive, actually. It's yeah, not a big budget. Thank you. So we're, we're able to pull a lot of that stuff off. And the commissioners, <clears throat> you know, much like... For frame of reference, people, uh, Fairhaven, the town of Fairhaven has a 50 to $60 million budget. So Right. So it's... it's, it's Twelve million is not that much, right? Yeah. And and we get it done. And we have we have seventy eight employees. I mean, it's not like we're you know we're not small by any stretch. But we and I give a whole lot of credit to our team, top to bottom. Every single person in the Plymouth County organization works extremely hard to get the job done, do it well, and do it effectively. And of course, as we've talked about on here, we've managed uh, we finished managing up the uh, CARES Act, which was a ninety million dollar funding program from the federal government that we administered. We received national recognition from Congressman Stephen Lynch as well as U.S. Treasury uh, for being one of the most or one of the lowest administrative costs in the entire country, less than 1% to administer that program, which meant more money, uh, 50% more dollars to every community in Plymouth County when stacked up against like-sized communities. I think I did the comparison here before. New Bedford received $8 million. Brockton received $19 million from that program. And now we're doing ARPA. And and thanks to the success of CARES, uh, we were joined by the other three counties, Barnstable, Bristol, and Norfolk counties joined us in ARPA. We were able to spread out the liability of that, the administrative cost of that. Instead of Plymouth County bearing 100%, we only bear 25% because the other three counties that got ARPA funds joined in with us. Uh, And that program's been going extremely well in Plymouth County. I think a lot of our communities were able to be more patient with it because they had cares so they didn't need to clamor to find you know fill those budgetary gaps that some of these other communities had um but so far we've been happy to disperse over four million dollars to the town of plymouth for water and sewer infrastructure uh last tuesday evening i was in situate to give them 3.4 million for their water project and i know that's a little out of uh, range for the listeners here, but for anybody that has followed the town of Situate's water issues, that it's been a, a massive issue with brown water, contaminated water uh, for a decade or more. It's been a long time coming, and they are working extremely hard to address that issue. We were able to use some ARPA funds to help them address that issue. Four million to Brockton, so we're we're out there um, 
continuing to assist our communities with some of the needs that they have. That's really, uh, I think that's pretty interesting stuff. Um, uh, yeah, I didn't know Situ had such an, uh, such an issue with that. Yeah, I don't know. You know, it, it's interesting, my, in, not involvement, but I, in my career, I used to work for their state senator. And okay. I worked for him 10 years ago, uh, Bob Hedlund, who's now the mayor of Weymouth. And it was an issue that was kind of emerging back then, you know, over 10 years ago to a little bit over 10 years ago. Uh, and it has persisted because of their issues with, with pipes, issues with it's a coastal community. Um, and they've had massive issues with brown water in many parts of town for many years. And it's going to admittedly cost a lot of money to get it up to snuff. But a big credit to the Situate and their leadership team for addressing that and recognizing that ARPA funds are best used for that. Again, the unglamorous stuff of Plymouth County's programs is taking care of things like water and sewer infrastructure, which is something that I know a lot of communities are starting to get a little wiser to. But yeah. it's something that's been, and you know, being involved locally, Marcus, a lot of times it's deferred. They yes. don't want to deal with that maintenance. And then all of a sudden, my hometown of Rockland, this sewer department is, I mean, we're looking at probably over $80 million in repairs to get that thing back to fully functioning and compliant with EPA and DEP rulings. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we take for granted when we flush the toilet, right? And yeah. I don't say that to be funny, but like you do sometimes. Right. <laughs> and, and then when that doesn't happen, you well, know, now, what are you going to do? Your New Bedford's actually seeing... Um uh, I think double. Uh, I think double their sewer rate because um, right. there's some you know people that have been around uh, for a long time in, in New Bedford City government that have kicked the can on the EPA upgrades that are needed. Right. And, you know, in order to so in order to get into the compliance, they didn't. You know, they they willfully you know just didn't apply for state grants. <laughs> some you know just a just a, right. a, a series of of um, of. Uh, you know, malpractice, probably not the best word. Malpractice, yeah. But yeah, I get what you're saying. Like, just yeah, never really wanting to focus on it and um, just kicking the can. Just yeah, they that's just kept literally kicking all the can, is. and so now it's a big, uh, it's a big issue. Um, you know, here in Fairhaven, we're we're you know doing some upgrades to our uh, our um, treatment plants. Uh, you know, to get them uh, up to snuff, and actually, because we we have them. Um, Fairhaven, Mattapoisett, Marion, Rochester. It's the Mattapoisett River Valley. Right. Uh, so we're, we're, everybody's sort of working, uh, in concert to get that done. Each town meeting approved X amount of dollars right. to, to, to work on that because it's, it is, it's, it's out of date. And regionalization, especially for things like water and sewer, I mean, that doesn't know boundaries, right? I mean, we all need water. We all need sewer. Uh -huh. Some form or another. We yeah. all need water, right? And I think that gets into some of the, some of the points I, I've made for many years, which is Massachusetts is needlessly expensive. That sewer treatment facility in Rockland is $88 million. That's going to be borne by one town. But yeah. imagine if you decided along the way to regionalize it. And one of the things, and it's a slow move because, frankly, a lot of communities aren't going to want to necessarily give things up to, say, a county infrastructure or a county organization. But it's having Plymouth County in a position to be, hopefully... A vehicle for regionalization right. for things like water and sewer infrastructure. The federal government awards grants largely based on counties, not towns, because they want to service as many people as possible. So one of the goals that I always have as a commissioner is where can the county stand at the ready to be that vehicle of regionalization? Right. Um, we've had very, very preliminary discussions on our last few agendas, actually, about starting up a mobile integrated health program. And that would be based 
out of Brockton, but once we get that online, the goal would be to have it also based out of the three or four hospitals. There's four hospitals in Plymouth County. So, of course, Brockton Hospital, Good Sam in Brockton, uh, Beth Israel, Plymouth, and Toby and Wareham. And we would be able to create, hopefully, the Plymouth County Health Department where Mobile Integrated Health would be able to go out there and service folks, especially our senior population. You go to a hospital, you get a cadre of prescriptions that you may need to take. It's hard to keep track of sometimes, especially if you're older. You might not have relatives who can help you. Mobile Integrated Health could fill that need for our senior population, especially. They can go out. They can say, hey, look, this is what you take today. This is what you take tomorrow. This is the dose. This is when you do it, right? Um, and also having that at the ready, again, in case another pandemic or something like it happens, that would have folks in a countywide organization that would be able to service the residents of Plymouth County. But again, showing the the value that we add as an organization is extremely important because, as you said, it is a relic. We used to have a lot of power. We go back to 1685. I mean, if yeah. you see a county road in your town in Plymouth County, we built it, we being Plymouth County. Yeah. Um, and slowly but surely over the years, the state took away roadways in the 40s. They took away the DA in the 70s. They took away the sheriff in 2010. Slowly but surely, well, not only things that, have been peeled away from us. Not only that um – you know, Bill Weld in the legislature in the, in the late 90s, actually Tony Cabral, I think, was the chairman of the uh, yeah. counties, um, basically, uh, you know, um, like disemboweled um, county well, they governments did. They in, did. In, uh, in, in Massachusetts. There used to be, because uh, like you said, every there used to be all, what, 14 to all 16? 14, all 14, 14 counties. commissioners. And yeah, and then, you know, what they... There were some that just had to go because they were they were terribly mismanaged. One that comes to mind is Middlesex. Yes, and they had like some they had some bad stuff going on. I think with some pension liabilities yep. and with a county run hospital that wasn't going very Correct. well either. And so uh, Weld and 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 the legislature basically just took a sledgehammer to the whole thing. They did, and you know, and that's the unfortunate part about it is obviously malfeasance led to their demises. Yeah. And Plymouth County was not immune to some of that nonsense 15 years ago. I mean, Plymouth County was... Before you got in. Before I was in, <laughs> yes. Um, before I was in, thankfully. But it wasn't immune to that to that malfeasance either. And it was malfeasance, especially, in, as you pointed out, in Middlesex County. Um, but when it comes to being sort of a relic, I think we are trying to stand at the ready of being on the forefront of charting a new course. You know, one of the other things that I think we should be doing that the state does is regional planning, right? Uh, Rockland is part of the Metropolitan Area Planning Council. Of course, it's Old Colony Planning Council. They do a nice job, but they're bureaucrats. And that's not to put down being a bureaucrat, but I'm an elected commissioner. I answer to Duxbury. I answer to Wareham. I answer to Marion. I answer to Mattapoisett. I answer to them every four years on the ballot. So when you want to talk about regional planning or any type of regional planning, wouldn't you rather it be done by someone who's accountable? And obviously I wouldn't be the planner, but I would be in charge of it as a commissioner. And if you don't like what I'm doing, you can vote me out. You can't really vote out MAPC or Old Colony Planning Council. And I'm not sure what they have down here on the South Coast, but you can't really vote them out. So that's another area. And we used to do it. And that is an issue. I think we see the state, especially with former Governor Baker's plan when it comes to units along um, the MBTA routes, you're seeing the state right now having a real hard time, especially with housing and especially with affordable housing, trying to foist things onto local communities and not really planning it. They're just making a formula and saying, you need to do this. 
again, an area where I think would be a good in between would be county government that could say, well, you know what? That might fit here. We might be able to work on that as a county organization overall, and we can take care of it in these certain areas of the county. We're going to leave other areas of the county and leave some not. We're going to leave a lot of the areas of the county so, intact. So, um, actually, character. Intact, I'm glad I you brought. I, I'm glad you brought that up. So, for people who don't know, there is a state law that was passed under Governor Baker, um, basically that had certain requirements for MBTA communities, which makes up uh, about 175 cities and towns in the Commonwealth, right. which currently does not include Greater New Bedford <clears throat> because. Um, Greater New Bedford uh, was in Fall River because they were not MBTA communities at the time of the law, law's passage. So it would have to be ret- they'd have to retroactively put them in. Lucky them. Well, so the law basically because I talked to I talked to um, Lieutenant Governor Driscoll about this a few weeks ago when she was on the program. The law basically says you have to. Not that you have to build housing, but you can't be an impediment uh, impediment to housing. So there has to be certain zoning. Um, zoning laws that allow, uh, you know, I guess developers to more freely build or certain radius around the track, uh, around the, uh, around the station in any, in, in any MBTA community. There are two communities out of this 175. One is Berkeley here in Bristol County. The other is Middleborough over in Plymouth County that are saying, uh, no thank you. Um, now they, I think there's some suggestion that the language in the law says that it's not optional because they maybe use the word may instead of shall. But um, Andrea Campbell, the new attorney general, is saying no, it's not optional, and we're going to enforce it. What you're saying is, I mean, because there isn't there is an issue with housing, and the MBTA is a community benefit, right? So what you're saying is you're against that law. Uh, yes. I mean, I'm generally against any type of law that is going to foist a one-size-fits-all approach on a lot of communities, right? So I understand the, the commuter rail benefit, and it would naturally make sense. But market forces are also dictating that, you know, my grandfather used to take the train from Middleborough to Harvard, right? Uh-huh. But generally speaking, that is going to be a long commute. People my age aren't going to go to Middleborough and go and live by that train station. It's, it's, oh, they built it's, houses over there. They have. But if you look at especially the Greenbush line, which also goes into Plymouth County, um, and I used to ride that on occasion for reasons that I won't get, get where, into. Where, but, where does the Greenbush line go? Uh, the Greenbush line goes down through downtown Hingham, Cohasset, uh, and it terminates in Situate, Greenbush and Situate. And that train is run half empty. And I think the, now that those communities banded together to fight that line even reopening to begin with because yeah. I think they accurately predicted nobody's going to ride it. So I think part of the reaction for communities like Middleborough and Berkeley is we don't have the ridership to begin with. And even if you force us to build more housing in these communities, it's not going to be rented. And I can tell you a very small case study right now would be Kingston. Um, weirdly enough, because I'm 34 going on 80, I like to walk the Kingston Mall. And they built housing around the Kingston Mall, which is abutting the Kingston train station. And they it's apartments, so it's not for sale housing, but it is rentals. And there's still over 100 units available. And that's been open and operational for close to a year now within that area. So I think the point is, I'm not necessarily opposed to 
creating more housing. I work in real estate. We do, we need more housing. I haven't had a I haven't had a sale since November. I mean, we need yeah. more inventory. My buyers need somewhere to go. Is the solution building up clustered housing along the MBTA belts? I don't think so. And what I will pause it is if we were to do this as a county and let counties do this, we could work with communities like Brockton, which is constantly working on redeveloping a lot of housing and doing so well. We could work with Abington. We could work with Whitman. Those communities that are still closer to Boston that have buildable stretches near those stations that look more appealing. Brockton, Whitman, Abington, they're closer to Boston. I, if I were living in Middleborough, I probably wouldn't have a job in Boston because that commute from that train, just the train commute alone would be, for me, it would just be too long. So I think that's that's the the point where we could work more regionally. And again, if these communities or the residents didn't like it, they could vote me out, right? They right. could get rid of us. So I think I oppose that law just in the sense that I think it's voicing, look, I live in Rockland. We don't have the commuter rail in Rockland. I mean, we're next door with Abington and South Weymouth. But again, South Weymouth is built up. South Weymouth it would be a spot that you would want to put that type of housing in. Is Middleborough that type of place? I don't think so. I don't think Berkeley is that type of place. So that's the problem that I have sometimes with state laws that make a one like size four fits people. all. There's like four people in Berkeley. <laughs> right. I was just saying, I should pick on Berkeley more. They don't have to worry about them. Yeah. We gotta, no one does. Right. <laughs> no one lives there. We got we to gotta take a break. We'll be right. Well, uh, wait. My headphones on? Uh, I can hear you. Oh, I turned the knob down. That's what it was. You know, it's funny. If any of my friends and family are listening there is a running trope on my show about the headphones uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, that was great it's just there's always a running um always just a fun little uh because they just they hardly ever work welcome back to south coast tonight we're here with jared valenzola um you know wbsm uh act.com actually has an update on one of the men who was uh found um dead at the hurricane barrier has been identified you can check out that story on wbsm.com i know tim and kate uh are working really hard in getting you updates on that and, uh, on that story and many other stories the, the hardest working people in the news business so um so jared uh you were telling, and because we're getting South Coast Rail here, um, a lot of people are real excited about yeah. it. A lot of people are just finding ways to dump on it. Um, but uh, just um, in 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 really interesting ways. But um, you, you told a good story about the what's it called, the Greenbush Green line. Bush line. Explain yeah. that what that line is, and explain the sort of the route it has to take now. Yeah. So part of the big dig, so going back 30 plus years, part of that legislation from the federal government also included monies to reactivate a lot of the old commuter rail lines down into the South Shore. Um, so I remember growing up in the 90s, there was no commuter rail line like into Abington. That came back online. They wanted to get the Greenbush line online. And if anybody's familiar with the northern part of Plymouth County, um, that line would branch off from Braintree branches off from Braintree or Quincy Center, I forget. It goes down through Weymouth Landing in East Weymouth. Then it goes through Hingham, Cohasset, and it terminates in Situate and Greenbush. And part of what we were talking about before, the reason why I'm kind of opposed to that law that would force housing along these commuter rail lines is, by and large, these commuter rail trains are kind of empty, right? So one of the arguments that was being made by Hingham in particular was that line had to go directly through downtown Hingham. And according to Eleanor Roosevelt, the former first lady, 
downtown Hingham is the most beautiful downtown in the United States of America that she ever saw. And it is gorgeous. It's a, it's a beautiful area. It, it just screams Americana. Like it just screams America, right? And I'm not saying that uh, as a county commissioner, but it's just, it's just your quintessential down. It's like a Rockwell painting yeah. with artists and shops and a movie theater that's one, uh, one screen, you know, it's just, right. it's, so that line was get slated to just go right through the heart of downtown Hingham. And Hingham, being one of the wealthier communities in the Commonwealth, said, yeah, no, <laughs> we don't want that. We're going to stop you every step of the way. It got so litigious and the, it finally got to a point where the state agreed to build a tunnel under downtown Hingham for the Greenbush line to pass through. And there is, and you can see it come down and there's a speed restriction on it. So it can't go at a certain speed underneath, but you know where the tunnel is when you kind of pass through downtown because there's parks that kind of are above where that tunnel is. Um, and if you're in some of the restaurants, you can occasionally sort of feel that train passing through. Um, so that's, so that was the story with that. So one of the reasons I said to Marcus off the air, I used to take the Greenbush line when I worked in the state house on occasion because if I were to go to Abington, which would be 30 seconds from my home, uh, the train would be full. So I'd have to stand, which is not a big deal, but why stand when you can sit? Prefer not to. If I got to the Weymouth landing spot, which was the last stop before it finally met up with the rest of the commuter rail lines through Quincy and into South Station, I could get a seat. So part of the argument that I make is you force this line to be reactivated. It's lightly used. It is, I believe, right now the least or worst performing line of the entire commuter rail. Wow. Um, or it's one of the worst. I mean, it's, it's, it's constantly half empty. So now you're telling me we need to force housing along that line that's lightly used to begin with in hopes that it gets used, where I would argue socioeconomically, people aren't going to move from Boston to Greenbush and Situate. If you're living in Situate, you're living there for a reason. It's a great town. Same thing with Hingham. Hingham has the ferry. But if you're living in a community like Situate, you're off the beaten path to begin with. So it's going to be more difficult. Oh, God. You to totally get ha- are. Housing up there, right? I, I, uh, I, w- I went to a wedding in in one of those communities, uh, the South Shore community. Was it at the, the Barker Tavern? No, the Red Lion Inn. Oh, Red Lion Inn. That's Cohasset. Cohasset. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it was good luck. Was wonderful. A wonderful beautiful. Little town. Oh, it's a beautiful spot. Absolute hell, getting there. Gorgeous town. Yeah, there's not an easy way to it get was, there. It was. It was like yeah, no, you had to do a long, very long, intrepid through the woods. Oh yeah, and it's a gorgeous <laughs> town. They it have is. a great little harbor front. Um, yeah, they do. And they have one of the wealthiest zip codes or one of the wealthiest streets in the entire state, Jerusalem Road. Uh, yeah. The CEO of WB Mason lives there. Um, Steve Carell of the office lives there. Um, That's right. Didn't he um, move from Marshfield to, to Cohasset? Doesn't he have like a store or something? He does own the Marshfield Hills General Store, yes. He bought that with his sister-in-law. So for fans of the office, his wife Nancy was in the office. She played Carol Stills, the realtor. It was her sister. Um, why am I blanking? I've met her a bunch and I'm blanking on her name. Um, she bought the Marshfield Hills General Store, which is um, an awesome store. I, so I used to work at WB Mason. So I used to sell paper. So Steve Carell, before the pandemic, once a year, um, the station that I, I have a show on would do a live broadcast from the Marshfield Hills General Store with Steve Carell. Oh, cool. And he'd be there signing autographs. Uh, and it stayed till the very end. You know, he, he would stay till the last fan was there. So um, if you're a big fan of The Office, you can go there. They have all sorts what's, of office swag and what's stuff. What's your opinion on The Office? 
Oh, I love it. However, it should have ended when Steve Carell left. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, like, I like yeah. Parks and Rec more because I think Parks and Rec knew when to end. Yeah. The Office should have ended when Steve Carell left. I think it stabilized a little bit. I mean, Andy was annoying when he replaced him. But, like, I think that would have been a better way of doing it than sort of the no, jumble no, no. thing with, like, Robert California. I don't like, want to get I don't want to get too deep into this <laughs> here because I don't think it's the right forum for it. But um, they – after Steve Carell left the office, first of all, they should have ended it. Right. But the way to end – the way to – if they didn't want to end it because it was a cash cow at the time. It was a hugely popular oh, yeah. show. The way to make it salvageable at that moment – was to then make Dwight the manager. Right. right. But the problem was Ed Helms had just done The Hangover. Right. Which was a massive, massive box office hit. An actual, uh, like a, uh, like it's a, it's, oh, a yeah. it's a comedy classic. It's right. an all timer. And so I think he, they wanted to ride the wave of his, his fame from The Hangover. But from a narrative perspective, because Andy Bernard was generally seen as sort of this goofy legacy Ivy League <laughs> do nothing near do well, right? And he was. He was one of the worst salesmen. Remember the episode he had to go yeah. out with pregnant Pam and they pretended to be a couple? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so for him to be elevated to manager and then like, it went on to like, oh, he's doing like, oh, we actually like him. He's doing a good job. It it just didn't make it just didn't make any sense narratively, and and I don't I didn't like. Well, it. it was just it was impossible to replace Michael Scott. Like that character, everything you could do with that character was so. T- I mean, somebody was telling me yesterday, and I need to watch it. The extended cut of Dinner Party is apparently. I mean, that is one of the most uncomfortable half an hours of television yeah, you're ever going to really watch. Good. That and Scott's talks. What, what but, I, like, what, what, you could do that with Steve Carell and with Michael Scott. You just couldn't do that with Andy Bernard. What's kind of interesting about Michael Scott is the whole point of him is that, like, he was an awful guy. Like, he was, you know, he's, like, this, like, terrible, like, bigoted, misogynist, <laughs> oh, like, just... harassing people in the office all the time. And then towards the end, it seems like they all, like, kind of have Stockholm Syndrome. Like, oh, you were the best boss, boss ever. ever, right? <laughs> yeah. World's best boss. So, um... Yeah, Scott's Tots was... Scott's Tots... Scott's so Tots. bad. Oh, wait, this is not the forum for this no, discussion. Not at all. But, but, Dinner um, party. Oh. Yeah, yeah. This is not the discussion forum for this discussion but fun little fact before i move off of it (laughs) (laughs) i like how we went from discussing housing stock along the commuter rails of the office this is excellent so i'm on a roll now so and i gotta i gotta i gotta i I gotta complete this thought yes so i don't know if you knew this but james gandolfini was offered the role really so james gandolfini was offered (laughs) that would have been great he was offered to be the lead when my when Steve Carell left, so he was going to be the new boss. Oh, could you imagine? You know why he wasn't? HBO, <laughs> HBO. He was he was going to do it. He was going to be oh, that the. Been great. He was going to be the lead actor, James Gandolfini, who played Tony Soprano in The Office. For people who don't know, I mean, who played Tony Soprano in The Sopranos, <laughs> the, the boss, titular, the the titular character. Um, HBO HBO stepped in and paid him three million dollars not to take it. They said you can't take this. It's going to ruin this. (laughs) It's going to ruin you for this show. This amazing show that we made. And that uh, would have been great, though. Could you imagine him in the office? Oh, I mean, he's one of the greatest actors of all time. So just the talent overall. Would have been remarkable. I think it would have been okay, but I understood HBO's oh, position on that. And I think in the end it was probably wise that it didn't happen. I think that it would have been too... I mean, the, well, the Sopranos had been I, off frankly, for a little while, though. Frankly, you know, um, it had been... Frankly, 
three million dollars is a lot of money to for, not have to work. To not have three million dollars to thing. not do something. That's the thing because he would have he would have made that three hundred dollars a three I mean that three million dollars easily. Oh, a thousand percent. Because t- like the highest paid TV actors typically get like a million a season, something like that, or uh, yeah, I usually get like a or some even well, get a million. I think Corral was up there though towards the end of the his time on the Office. He was up there. He may have been. Close maybe to a million, a million maybe, an episode, I think. Yeah, maybe it's a million an episode if you're like top tier. So we would have made that money back. But right. Like you said, it was to, to not work. Like go do some movies or something. Right. You know? Yeah, fine. I'll take three million not to work. Yeah. All right. We, we're moving off this topic. <laughs> we'll take a break and so we can reset. New Bedford's News Talk Station, 1420 WBSL. One in four Americans have a disability. I'm one of them. I'm also a working mom who cares deeply about making sure every child with a disability thrives by getting their access needs met. We've got a trusted ally by our side. Easter Seals provides children and families the foundation for lifelong success through early learning programs, skills training, and prep for college and career. That's my Easter Seals. Make it yours. Join us at EasterSeals.com. They are our love bugs and companions. They are our pets, our family, and they make life better. When we face unexpected challenges, so do our pets. That's why we're on a mission to support people and their pets. Whether donating a bag of kibble, sharing an Instagram post of a lost cat, or welcoming a foster pet into your home, every bit of kindness counts. (laughs) Visit PetsAndPeopleTogether.org to learn how to be a helper in your community. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States and the Ad Council. Victor deployed for the first time to Afghanistan in 2003. Four in the morning, my phone rang. They said, I regret to inform you that your husband was wounded in action. Victor sustained a moderate traumatic brain injury. I was doing school full time, and I was also then caring for Victor. One of the most important elements of caregiving is taking care of yourself. I just didn't want to forget that I also had goals and that I also had a life. What I did is I challenged Victor to meet me halfway. There are almost 6 million military and veteran caregivers across the nation. We have our own journey, and we can fulfill that journey at the same time that we are helping our loved one. Visit aarp.org caregiving for a free military veteran's guide to navigate your caregiving journey and better care for your loved one and yourself. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Have your voice heard right now on South Coast Tonight. Call 508-996-0500 or send an app chat message on the WBSM app. Now, back to Chris and Marcus. Another conversation for another time. Oh, yeah. So we're here with Jared Valenzuela. Um, he's the resident Republican for the evening. Uh, we're actually, we're, we're going to get a little bit more, um, I think we're going to have a little bit more of a dichotomous uh, discussion uh, in the 8 o'clock hour because let's save the 62F conversation for then. Sure. So for people who may not know, the 62F was that law that sort of fell from the sky uh, at the end of the um, – at the end of the budget term last year, uh, Baker had sort of tipped everybody off to it. Basically, after as the legislature was coming at, to the end of the session, and it was essentially a tax re, a two point nine million dollar tax refund 
uh, allocated by the percentage. Billion, I think. Billion, yeah. I said, I said million, billion. Uh, and it was about 13% of what uh, someone paid in their state taxes, not federal, state taxes. So um, you knew that the legislature wasn't going to be happy. They didn't really know about it, which I think is funny in and of itself. But you knew once they got there. Kind of ironic. You knew once the, once their feet were under them uh, on this that they were going to – they weren't going to leave that law as it was. So they're, they're, they're looking to – I think change it um, in a in a different way, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that towards um, I think the uh, in the eight o'clock hour. I think that's a good. Um, I think we can save that conversation uh, for then. Brian Pereira, by the way, New Bedford City Councilor, he's going to be calling in in the nine o'clock hour. Uh, just going to check in after the ordinance committee meeting that he's he's chairing in the. Um, uh, in the city council chamber. So we'll, we'll be talking to Ryan, uh, in the nine o'clock hour as well. I'm, I'm happy. Ryan reached out to me. He wanted to do that segment. And, uh, I was, I was, I was grateful that he did. Um, I think it's good. It's always good when your elected officials, Jared, reach out to you and want to, want to, want to reach out to the media and want to make an appearance. It makes, makes my life easier for sure. Absolutely. Well, you know, I think one of the things that for me is important, you know, it's, it's always a, you're always trying to tread a line, right? Because you also don't want to be seen as live shot either. Um, at least I don't, ironically, even though I post my own weekly show. Yeah. Um, but I think it is important, especially for those of us on a local level, those of us in offices that don't get a lot of attention. That's why I'm grateful, Marcus, when you reach out and I will come anytime I can down here. Um, and any opportunity I get to talk about the things we do in Plymouth County, because it's stuff that people aren't paying attention to. And yeah. I think it gets to a broader conversation about what the American experiment is, what the American experiment was intended to be, as national media becomes what most people consume. And then you look at organizations like Gannett, you know, Gannett that has completely gobbled up every local newspaper in Massachusetts and gutted them. I mean, we talked about the Providence Journal last time I was here. Like that used to be a force in Rhode Island politics, and now it's it's um, nothing. So Gannett owns the Standard Times, the Fall River Herald, the Cape Cod Times, the Patriot Ledger up in Quincy, yeah. uh, the Providence Journal, which. Actually, you're seeing Boston, the Boston Globe, Globe actually now. come in and and sort right. of uh, usurp some of the responsibilities that the that, that Projo well, has. Well, because they see Projo's been gutted. I mean, it's been yeah. gutted to nothing. But so for me, they don't even have a, a, like an editorial board anymore. Yeah, they really don't. incredible. Right, for it's, a major city, you know, especially a city in Rhode Island like yeah. that. You know, it's not like Providence in Rhode Island politics is short on <laughs> shenanigans yeah. that need to be covered and reported on. And it's really too bad. It is so. So I, I'm grateful. I agree with you. I'm glad Councilor Pereira's calling in and reaching out. I think it's important because I think so many times, and this is this is both sides of the aisle. It doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat. Both sides are hyper focused on national issues, and they're not paying attention to what's going on in their own backyard. You know, I can only change. You know, in my case, I can try and change the town I live in, which is Rockland, and you know, the people of Plymouth County elected me to maybe change Plymouth County, but I, I don't have control over stuff that's happening in other parts of the country. I'm aware of what's happening in the country as a whole, but I think that has been such a, a major issue that has happened in the last 10 years that people don't pay attention to anymore, and it's too bad. I mean, we this station does an excellent job covering this area. The station I'm on covers our, you know, that area up there, and I remember my dad was a selectman 20 years ago. There used to be three reporters at Rockland selectman meetings. Yeah. You know, now there's none. Uh, maybe one if you're lucky. But yeah. It, it, there's just, if there's something spicy on the agenda. Right. 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 Yeah. But yeah. Other than that, there's, 
there's none of that engagement. So it's it's great that folks want to engage, and it's great. You know, your show, your show with Chris here, and and what Jess does on Saturdays, and what every show on this station pretty much does, at least the non syndicated ones, is covering these local issues and giving a platform for folks to come in and talk about it. It's extremely important. And it's lacking, you know. Yeah. It's it's so lacking. I, I joked when I started my program, I'm not going to be I'm not going to be Sean Hannity. I'm not going to be Rush Limbaugh. If you want that, tune into them. Like yeah. I'm going to bring local thoughts, ideas. I certainly will occasionally Can't talk tune into Rush Limbaugh anymore. Well, right. Yeah, yeah, God yeah. rest his soul. I'm sure you disagree, but no, I kidding. do. <laughs> oh, I do. But you know, we. But. If you want that kind of show, you say, I'm not going to be Howard Stern. I'm not going to be Howie Carr. I'm not going to be Sean Hannity. Like, we are. Well, we got Howie Carr here. Yes. And Howie Carr is great. I mean, Howie Carr has done a great service regionally for many years. Um, but he's regional, right? It's important to have programs like this and stations like this that give attention to local issues because that's the biggest thing that affects our lives. All right. All right. Enough of the flattery. I got to take a break. (laughs) (laughs) So Max from New Bedford is asking us of the thoughts on the James Spader as manager era of the office. You know, I, I, it was a waste of James Spader. It Mm -hmm. was a waste of a character. Mm -hmm. Um, He had some great moments. He was, he was, did have some great moments. He was weird, but like some of the stuff was needlessly weird. Yeah. Like it was just like, just trying to be like, yeah, just trying like, to be weird. For he weird was sake. just a weird character, but like, yeah. you know, we talked about it, and I <laughs> agree yeah, with why, you. Like your why, favorite line: Why was. is why is Jim treating the the magician poorly? <laughs> <laughs> the why is Jim treating the magician poorly? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just so good. <laughs> so, that, the line and delivery right, is perfect. And, and when he yells at Andy, "You don't even know my name. I'm the effing lizard king." Yeah, that's that's pretty good. <laughs> but like some of the other stuff with him is just weird like the house that remember he has like we were talking about the yeah, you didn't watch a lot of the the last two seasons but like he has everybody over his house because he's selling it and yeah it was just like a weird like everything about him was weird i i like james Sp- i mean james spader is highly talented that's why i say it was a waste i loved boston legal yeah it was a it was great, great show great show he did that with um Oh God, Captain William, Kirk, William, William Shatner. Shatner. Thank you. Yeah, um, yeah, great show. And James Spader is an excellent comed- won comedian. Won three. He won three three Emmys for yeah. that. Yeah, but 